Good morning. Welcome to the Blue Lake Presbyterian Church, and thank you all for coming out this morning. Uh, the title to today's message is The Vineyard, and it's based on Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 7, and we'll be reading that in a little bit. Well, growing up in Holland, I could have never imagined that someday there would be a vineyard in my journey. 20 years ago, we started farming in Willow Creek in the late 90s. And one of the farms had a small vineyard on it. And just a few acres of some different varietals of, uh, of grapes that were planted in the late 70s. And my first inclination was to rip those vines out of there because we are in the flower business and we're going to plant flowers there. But my wife actually encouraged me to hang on to those vines. And I'm glad we did. Today we still grow a few grapes. And in conjunction with some of the other grape growers in Willow Creek, and with the help of uh, the expertise of our winemaker, Will Franklin, who happens to be in the crowd today, we make wines under the Trinity River Vineyard label. <clears throat> and Will has done a fantastic job making wines. And as a matter of fact, he actually won double gold at the San Francisco Chronicle uh, wine competition for one of his wines and actually got a Wine Enthusiast magazine rating 91 on one of his Chardonnays. But the farm in Willow Creek still predominantly grows flowers. And not just flowers. These decorative foliages like cotinus and, and shrubs like rose hips, which we have right here, and some Ilex verticillata, the winter berries. Now, the preparation of the soil and the way that you farm these flowers don't vary much from the way grapes are grown. A farmer puts his heart and soul into his crop. But there are times when things just don't work out as expected. When a crop is not yielding as it should, it can be extremely disappointing and frustrating to a farmer. And let me illustrate this with an example. In Willow Creek, we farm on two ranches. One of them is located on a hill and it slopes slowly to the floodplain of the Trinity River. And when we were leveling the, the ground on that particular ranch, we ran into some rocks. We took out the rocks with a, uh, with a, with a rock remover. It's basically a big digger that digs the rocks right out of the ground. And we kept doing that till the crop was ready to be planted, till the ground was just perfect. Then the other farm is a mile up the road. <clears throat> and that farm had not seen a crop for decades. As a matter of fact, when we started there, the whole farm was overgrown with briars, with blackberry bushes. So tall or taller than me. And uh, there's a lot of thorns on them. And the bears had a field day at that farm. 
And, and you could see that by all the piles they had left as evidence. Well, it took a lot of time getting that ranch ready, working the soil, shanking it, and getting all those roots out of there of all those blackberries. But the soil was beautiful and rich. Then we added some fertilizer, some chicken manure. We put a cover crop in it of some, uh, some clover. And then the next year, we planted a crop. And what did we plant? We planted some privet. Everybody familiar with privet? Some people call it ligustrum. They use them for hedges. But ligustrums, some varieties are, have some beautiful berries. And that's what got us interested, in those beautiful berries. We had seen pictures of these ligustrum berries in some magazines, of these beautiful branches with berries, and we figured that's what we want to grow in Villacruz. So the first year, the crop grew very, very well in this fertile soil. But the first year, no berries. No worries. The plants are still young. They'll give berries next year. So the next year, the crop got even taller. And now we had lots of flowers in the summertime. But by the time fall came along, only a few plants had berries. So then we kept the plants in the ground another year. And by the third year, still no berries. No berries to speak of, rather. At that point, we took a giant mower with a big shredder on the back, and we just took that whole crop out and plowed it under. That was the end of Lagustrum. <clears throat> then we planted a crop of winterberry, Ilex verticillata. We had got some plants from a supplier in Holland, and we had planted them. They grew very, very well. And then after the second year, when they're supposed to show berries, only certain plants had berries, and a lot of them did not. Now, at that point, we knew very little about Alex. But someone explained that the plants that we had gotten from the supplier in Holland were not propagated through cuttings cutting particular clones, but we had received plants that were propagated by seed. Now, for, you, for those who don't know, Ilex has male plants and female plants. The male plants are very prolific. They make lots of flowers, but zero berries. That's not what males are supposed to do. The females, on the other hand, are the ones giving the berries as long as they're pollinated correctly. So, according to the Fisher Principle, an equal number of males and females came up after you seeded that, that seed mix. <clears throat> as a result, 50% of the plants that were growing had no berries. And the other 50%, the females, did have berries, but by and large, they did not look very good because they weren't a selected clone. Lots of variation in our crop. So in the life of a farmer, things don't always go as expected. And years ago, an old farmer told me, farming isn't for the faint of heart. Well, there is an allegorical story in the Bible about a farmer who had a patch of fertile soil 
and he took out the rocks and he made all kinds of improvements to that land. And then he planted a vineyard with the best vines that he could find. But instead of premium grapes, his vines produced wild grapes. Not good. The, par- the farmer was perturbed. Not only was he getting wild grapes, also, and the grapes were absolutely of no value to him, he also was being judged and ridiculed by his neighbors. Well, this story in Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 7, can be found in your pew Bibles on page 634, and it's on the first part of your Bible in the Old Testament, and I'll give you an opportunity to look that up. Let's see who that farmer was and see what he did about this troubling situation. And I'll give you a moment to look it up. But before we go there, let's please bow our heads. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light. In your truth, find wisdom. And in your will, discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 7. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared out of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and carved out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judea judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and it shall, it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that the rain, no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judea are his pleasant plenty. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed. Righteousness, but heard a cry. This story in Isaiah starts out with the writer wanting to sing a love song for his beloved about his vineyard, describing how the soil was fertile and he had to take out some rocks. No rock digger in those days, I suppose. And then he planted it. 
with choice vines, some of the best varietals that were available. Now, in today's vernacular, he would have probably planted something like some of the best clones that could be found of Cabernet Sauvignon. Years ago, I met a farmer who had a prime location in the Napa Valley. And he was involved in growing grapes for Opus One. His vineyard was small. And at the time, there were about four parcels, with less than 200 acres, of mostly Cabernet Sauvignon that was dedicated to growing for Opus One. For that prestigious brand, Opus One, selling retail up to $300 a bottle. Like this Opus One grower, this farmer, in the story, planted some of the best vines that he had available on this great location. But then guess what happens? The best soil, the best varietal, but as the ilex and, 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 and the ligustrum gave no berries, these vines instead gave wild grapes, which is as bad as no grapes at all. Wild grapes are classified in some areas by the USDA as a noxious weed. Isaiah wrote this allegory over 2,700 years ago, in the year 739 BC, as a story to make a point. And in verse 7, Isaiah reveals what this allegory is all about. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant plenty. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed. Righteousness, but heard a cry. So the historical context for Isaiah's vineyard metaphor was an attack that was expected on Jerusalem. And Isaiah felt that the only way that disaster may be averted or prevented was for Judah, as the children of Israel, to put aside their sinful and rebellious behaviors. And to once again listen to God. In verse 5, the, first, the frustrated farmer says, And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. Now in Willow Creek, we have a nine-foot fence all around the property to keep out the deer. And the deer, in particular, love these rose hips, little shoots, when they come up in the spring. If the deer is around, there are no rose hips at all. They'll just chew down the whole field. But the farmer said, I don't care any longer. Let the animals come in. Let them devour my crop. Like the chopper and the shredder on that legustrum crop of those non-producing legustrum fronts. In verse 5, it said, it will be trampled on. Oh, I vividly remember 
what trampling can do to a growing crop, manifesting itself in incredible damage. Years ago, we had a farm in Del Norte County. The very first year we were there, we had planted a crop of iris in the fall. And they were just starting to come up. And in the first week of November, there was a freak storm with thunder and lightning. And our neighbor had a herd of cows, a couple of fields over. But that thunder freaked out the animals. They broke through a fence and they started running and running and running. And they finally came to a stop. Guess where? In our field of just planted iris. What a mess. That trampled field still gives me the shivers. <laughs> but ultimately, Isaiah's warning proved to be prophetic when the Babylonians in 587 BC ransacked Jerusalem. The walls came down and the Jewish people, the descendants of the tribe of Judah, were exiled to Babylon. He expected justice in verse 7. But he saw bloodshed. Righteousness. But he heard a cry. Speaking of bloodshed. What is going on in our country? What has happened to the moral fabric of our great nation? Our thoughts and prayers go to the victims and the families of all those affected by those mass shootings in El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio. Now, I'd rather not get in the middle of this gun control debate. There's plenty of that going on. But in the final analysis, we have to wonder what happened to the moral compass of our society. I say I wrote, he expected justice. But saw bloodshed. Righteousness. But he heard a cry. In our opening hymn this morning. America the beautiful. We sang. God shed his grace on thee. Thee meaning. Our wonderful country. But it makes one wonder. If our society. Is at a tipping point. At the cusp of sliding into the equivalent of the bad grapes in that vineyard. Some folks publicly ask, how long will God continue to bless us? At what point will he take that fence down and let it be trampled and devoured like the wild grapes in that vineyard? Or the folks in Jerusalem in 587 B.C. Well, let me stop right there. Not going to go there. Because here is the good news. The same Isaiah who predicted the destruction of Jerusalem also foretold the coming of the Messiah. The one who would, who would bring righteousness. 
In Isaiah 11.1, he predicted, A shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. From that stump of Jesse. Now you may wonder, who was Jesse? Or Jesse was a farmer. Jesse was a descendant of the tribe of Judah. The same folks described in Isaiah as the bad grapes on that fertile hill. But through the descendants of that same tribe came the Messiah, our Savior, our Redeemer. Out of this seemingly hopeless scenario came the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Jesus underscores that he was sent by his Father. And he makes this crystal clear. In a parable in Matthew 21, 33. When he said. There was a master. Who planted a vineyard. And put a fence around it. And dug a fine press. And built a tower. And leased it to his tenants. And then the master went to another country. When the season for the fruit draw near. He sent his servants to get his fruit. But the tenants took his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent even more servants, and he did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son, saying, they will respect my son. The father sent the son, sent the son, To carry the sins of the world. Back to the Ilex. In the beginning of the story. The ones where only 50% of the plants had berries. The males. And the females that didn't look very good at all. On the surface. That patch of Ilex. Was an utter disaster. We were close to give it up. Bring in that same shredder. And chop it. And take down the ilex. Or let this crop be trampled. Let the blackberries grow back over it. With the thorns. And let the bears come in. And just devour and trample the crop. And have a field day. But in the middle of that patch. Of deplorable plants. We found one plant. One plant in that seedling mix. That looked distinctly different. One plant with orange berries. Which is rather unusual in the red ilex berries that are typically for Christmas. That one plant became the foundation of an ilex breeding program. That for the last 12 years has produced some outstanding varieties. Including some patented by the U.S. Patent Office, like the stem of uh, Autumn Spirit that we brought here this morning. A shoot will sprout from the stump of Jesse. From the stump of Jesse, from the sinful, 
rebellious descendants of the tribe of Judah, from those wild grapes came our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. No matter how sinful those people in Judah had been, no matter their unbelief, no matter their rebellion, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Jesus came in a world of sinners and provided hope and grace and glory. The hymn we will sing in a little bit says it all. God of grace and glory, on his people pour his power, bring its bud to glorious flower. Jesus said in John 15, 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the one who carries our heavy laden burdens. He redeems us from all our sins. In Matthew 20, verse 1, Jesus likens the vineyard to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the vine. He pro provides us with the glorious fruit. The fruit that fills our hungry souls. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of righteousness. The fruit that brings amazing grace. The fruit that provides eternal life. Or you may say, how do I get this fruit? The answer is simple. I know a lot of people that have been going to church for many, many years. That sing the songs. That grow through the rituals. But they do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Start a relationship with Jesus Christ today. Put your trust in him. Accept him as Lord and Savior. And he will lead us to the ultimate vineyard. The kingdom of heaven. Thank you. God bless you. Amen.